Before we continue with the show, a quick word from today's episode partner, UBS. Do you want to grow with your business? Then the UBS Growth Talks may be for you. You will get support from peers and experts in order to take that next big step towards success. And the best thing, it's free of charge. For more information, go to ubs.com forward slash growth dash talks. What is really your value proposition in sales in these markets that are really then also from a competition wise really hit the spot in a certain country? Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Marcus, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, my pleasure to be here with you. You are working with business customers at UBS Switzerland and you are responsible for three products the payments, the trade finance, and also the leasing business. So today's focus is how can I go international as a business from Switzerland? And the first question is, what is a common misunderstanding or misunderstandings from your perspective about going international from Switzerland? Yeah, I'm not so sure whether a lot of misunderstandings, but maybe underestimations. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we grew all up maybe here in Switzerland. We know the market, we know the laws, we know the rules, but the rules might be different and culture can be different abroad. So it takes some uh, local knowledge. It takes some adaption of maybe products to really sell products and services in other countries. So it's really don't underestimate the work it takes to go outside of Switzerland. Yes, yes. I think that's that's a key point. And, you know, when we think about going international, usually the first question that you have to ask yourself, when is the right timing to do so? Do you have any take on that? It's very difficult to generalize. You know, it mm -hmm. depends on which business you're running. But Switzerland is small, <laughs> just <laughs> period. Switzerland is a small market. And that's why I think just to open up the opportunity for your goods and services are international, right? The mm -hmm. opportunities are mostly in other markets where there are more customers, where there are more also B2B clients. So yeah. to be honest, uh, if you have a good idea, go international. Yeah, it's probably never too early to start thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's also a little bit forced, right? Depending on what product you have, but mm -hmm. just to access a wider market, uh, you're nearly forced in Switzerland to think abroad. Yeah. Right. And are there any particular things that you do need to take care of before you actually go international? Basically, the homework that you need to do before you start going uh, on international expansion. Yeah, I, th I think everyone should should have a plan. Mm -hmm. And plan means I mean, either strategy or, or going international strategy. I think you need to know what is the USP of your services or goods, right? What is really the differentiating factor and where are these clients? Mm -hmm. And I think something that is always also underestimated, what is the competition then already in these countries and the pricing level? Yeah. Because you know, we if you produce something, if you generate services here in Switzerland, it might be different from a perception in another country of the willingness to pay 
but also maybe the attitude to quality. Yeah. So I think it takes a clear plan of where do I want to go with my value differentiation, mm -hmm. in which country, with which storyline, and where could it work? You know, th these things, they make a lot of sense. At the same time, I wonder, how can you actually assess that? Do you go there and do some test sales? Do you do a lot of desk research? How can you identify those points that you just mentioned? Difficult, right? <laughs> because I think everyone knows the market where they grew up. Right. Uh, sometimes I see a lot of clients that produce some machinery, some precision instruments, and especially in the B2B business, you might know a lot of clients that actually need your 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 pieces, right? Mm -hmm. Your machinery, your your instruments that you produce. So this is somehow maybe a natural way of if you go to a big fairs and you know maybe potential clients. So you, you follow your clients yeah. that you know. And then I think you learn a lot on the way now right. depending if you if you provide services out of switzerland uh, which are not so location dependent maybe mm -hmm. it, it might be a little bit different but then you just need to find out locally of who would be willing to buy your services yeah. at which prices yeah i i yeah that totally makes sense yeah. And then you also have a lot of different geographies that you can actually choose from when you decide to go international. So how do I find and then also select the right markets for my company? Um, again, who will buy these products? And I think going closer to where you are makes it much easier. Mm -hmm. right? Let's take Switzerland. If you export something to Germany, just also language-wise, right. time difference-wise, culture-wise it's definitely much easier than if you immediately start selling your services or goods in the, in the Far East. Right? Yep. And then once you identify the right market or you go to the close markets, you have different options about how you can actually internationalize as a company. So what options can I choose from? I think it's just taking it from smaller companies that just started. I think the first natural step is like direct sales. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, and that, I think also if you look at statistics, it's still the most common way of doing sales. It's just directly exporting out of Switzerland into other countries. And I think that's that's the normal start. You either follow a client, you follow follow the needs, and then you try to scale on, on this one. Huh? Would uh, you say that this is also the easiest way to do it or... Well, easiest, I think, would be selling just in Switzerland. But right. we talked about this before, <laughs> then it's just a limited market size. Yeah. Uh, well, it has pros and cons, right? Mm -hmm. So it takes then much more efforts maybe out of, of, uh, out of your home destination. Yeah. A lot of things for me also what I see is cultural. There are different cultures where you should meet your clients in the future. It's not so mm -hmm. much about content, but much more about context. Relationships play a big role. So if you just start off, uh, be sure that you are able to travel and meet and also do the socializing part. Mm -hmm. So, but I think direct sales is still for a lot of smaller and mid-sized companies, one of the main, main model, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can also go the indirect way, right? Yes. And then what we often see, I mean, you start selling your things in a certain country and then it gets bigger and bigger. And then you have new clients that are interested to buy it. 
and then suddenly we see a lot that uh, uh, that especially for sales and also servicing mm -hmm. you go into kind, some kind of distribution models right you either partner up with the servicing organization on the ground that takes care of the local needs once your for example machinery is sold uh, and then if these companies grow you might decide to set up an own subsidiary mm -hmm. right not just for sales maybe what we also see a lot then through acquisitions you just might buy another company on the production side mm -hmm. depending on what you do as we said before switzerland is quite the high wage and expensive yeah, country so also on the production side be it services or goods one day you need to reflect of whether there's cheaper places to provide these services from so you start outsourcing ideas mm -hmm. either also with partnerships or with setting up your own subs yeah and then another quite a common model is also the licensing or franchising model what role does that play in your strategy yeah i i think i'm just well what i see in the market is that franchising and licensing needs that's kind of a it's a quite a complex business model mm -hmm. right yeah. you need to have a very mature either service or product because you are actually giving away a whole business model it's not yeah. just selling or servicing a piece of machinery it's really from marketing from sales from appearance so I th we normally see this really in a more mature market or in areas where there's really kind of it's very it's very easy to establish right yeah. but for me it's still i think what i see quite a complex model to set it up that it then also really works for the ones that take the franchise but also the ones owning the franchise and still capitalizing on this mm -hmm. and you know as we hear you speak it's like that the internationalization is not a walk in the park. So what are the challenges that you face? What are the tough things that you will eventually hit on the road to going international? If it just starts with kind of, of basics, right? Sometimes you are not allowed to sell the same products abroad as you do in Switzerland, yeah. especially countries that import a lot mm -hmm. versus export, right? The, the US is such a typical right. country they try to protect their own economy, mm -hmm. right? And then it starts with regulations, with rules, with taxes. Uh, we also know it when you try to sell something just from Switzerland in the European Union, uh, the C conformité européenne, uh, it could be the packaging, right? Mm -hmm. That needs to be conform à l'Europe. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, and, and I mean, depending on what you do, you need really to be accustomed with local rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, I think what is always underestimated as well is, is the whole distribution part, right? Yeah. People think differently. People behave differently. People have different preferences abroad. Yeah. Let's take chocolate, right? <laughs> Not everyone loves this milky, creamy chocolate that we do in Europe. If you go to the US, it has to be much darker, right? Mm -hmm. So are you really catering to the local needs? And especially what we see, we Swiss, we have such a high quality standard that we have a tendency to over-engineer. Yeah. So what is really your 
value proposition in sales in these markets that are really then also from a competition ways really hit the spot in a certain country. I think these are two important points. I remember vividly a, a great example that they showed us at university back in the days where IKEA was going to the US and there they were selling the, the vases for the flowers and people bought them as cups for their drinks in the US. And that was so massive because nobody expected that to happen. They just brought the, the European products to, to America. And of course, that didn't work the same way because, as you mentioned, there are cultural differences. Yeah, and just also look at the beds in the US yeah, with these right. spring mattresses. It's just not yeah. the same. So we can maybe use this as an analogy for a lot of different products and services. You really have to cater to the the needs and standards and habits mm -hmm. of, of, of these countries. And I think these are two very important points, you know, the cultural differences, but also the legal differences, what you can do or cannot yeah. do. Who can actually help you out on, on both of them? Are there any experts or are there any, you know, any other experts that can really help you to figure out how the local differences affect your business model, your USP positioning? Yeah, I think especially in Switzerland, we have a lot of association that help you to go abroad, right? Mm -hmm. I think Switzerland is lives on actually exporting cool things all over the world. So I think that's very important for the Swiss economy. We have the Swiss Export Association, the Schweizer Exportverband. They, mm -hmm. they do some trainings, a lot of trainings on export-related topics. We have the SwissTrade.com label just started. They help you to promote news about your services on a global basis, also through newsletters that are distributed in Chamber of Commerces. So that, that you just, that all the world knows what you're doing. And of course, also Swiss Global Enterprise, which is the federal uh, entity to promote export. We have, I think, over 20 business hubs across mm -hmm. the world that actually help also companies going into these markets with local knowledge per country. Yeah. And I think a good hint is always, if you go to a country in the world, you might not be the first Swiss company to do this. So yeah. talk to others, talk yeah. to others that already did it, that already have experience, because I think then you get hands on hands-on experience per country. Now, I think that's a very, very good recommendation. Yeah. There are also challenges from a bank's perspective. So what do you look at from a bank's perspective if you have a client, a company that wants to go international? What's important there to consider? I think first it starts off opening accounts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very simple, <laughs> so, but not that easy. Not that easy <laughs> because, I mean, and that's why UBS decided, for example, already to help also corporate clients abroad. We can open accounts in Singapore, Hong Kong, Frankfurt, and the US, apart from Switzerland, of course. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just take the example, if you want to set up something in Singapore, a kind of a local hub, and you need a bank account, no one knows what the Swiss extract of a commercial registry is. Of course. Uh, and so they might not know what the customs are. So we really try to help with account openings because we know the company here from Switzerland. We know what the Swiss extract of commercial register is that we can really benefit on this client know-how also for onboardings abroad. And then the next thing that you're automatically also confronted with is basically the foreign exchange rate, right? 
Exactly. Maybe even also before you open accounts. I think that's something that is also underestimated. But let's let's assume you start selling into the EU zone mm-hmm. in euros. Yeah. So you might have all your uh, yeah all your cash that you spend. All your efforts are denominated in Swiss franc. Yeah. Uh, all your production is in Swiss franc, but your sales proceeds. Are in euros, right. so you better pay attention what kind of rules and regulations you have in your contracts. Because if you promise someone to that he should pay like sixty-five thousand euros in nine months, but it takes you a lot to do these services on the fly, and then actually the foreign currency exchange rate is going against you, you might lose money on the deal Mm -hmm. so either you can hide this somewhere in the contracts or you talk very early to your bank partner on how you can edge such foreseeable cash flows against an expected currency rate Mm -hmm. i think this is still something that is not done so widely but as the example shows swiss franc euro it can go quite quickly and then if swiss franc really uh is getting much stronger uh you might have issues on uh, how much money you get back if if you have uh, a euro that is very weak. Absolutely. The other thing, I, you know, this is so mind blowing because it's such a simple thing, but we often forget about it. Of course, you also have to pay your bills, but also receive payments in a different country, in a different currency. How can a bank also support you there? Because that's a very, very key part of your business at the end. Yeah, I mean, we advise a lot of clients uh, on payments. Uh, been the best domestic cash management bank for few years in a row now and we really specialize on enabling international payments now paying is when you pay out so this means you bought something abroad mm-hmm. and there there's also two different ways right a lot of things is maybe denominated in u.s dollars but we see a trend that you go much more local and okay. now for example in ubs you can choose from 120 currencies in the e-banking you can pay in malaysian ringgit you can pay in ethiopian beer uh was it crazy (laughs) but that's payments that actually you know exactly the amount that is going into these countries for example also when the olympics were happening winter olympics in pyongyang in south korea Mm -hmm. instead of paying the hotel bills the local transportation bills in u.s dollars and then always have these issues uh no you can pay in South Korean won directly. And then the money arrives very promptly and you know exactly how much is arriving. Mm -hmm. So that's more the payment side. Collection, to be honest, is quite local. Okay. That's something if you cannot tell your clients then to pay you in Switzerland, this is something that is quite local if they are used to pay check if you are used yeah, right. to pay some local. So it really depends then on how you can partner up with there's mm-hmm. some collection, uh, cash collection companies that specialize on this. I would like to mention one thing additionally in Europe. Sure. Switzerland is not part of the European Union. So whenever you pay in to the EU zone or you see, receive money from an EU perspective, this is international cross-border payments. Mm-hmm. The pricings are not regulated, you know. For a payment within the EU zone, the pricing has to be local all over the EU. 
but not from Germany to Switzerland, for mm-hmm. example. There it crosses an international border. And that's why we also have a special setup with a gateway account so our clients, they can have a kind of a second account with UBS in Frankfurt, yeah. enabling them to then really do payments that come from the e- within the EU zone and mm-hmm. cannot be discriminated. So yeah. actually the person paying you, for example, in Portugal does not need to do an international payment to Switzerland, which costs much more than just a local payment. So these are just kind of examples of how we try to make the world smaller for our and easier for our international active corporate clients. Here. I like that, making the world smaller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then there's the other thing that you also focus on, the whole trade finance part. So what does that exactly mean and how do you support companies there? Yeah, I think trade finance has like, two parts and we can also take an example right sure. if if you normally it's really the case when you sell like kind of high value goods or machinery so let's assume you have special laser technology that you compile and you sell a machine of like 1.5 million to a country abroad mm-hmm. how do you do this right the other person does not want to pay you before they see the machine, you might not be so keen to ship this machine somewhere to the Far East and just hoping and praying to get the money one day. So it's really securing the payments, have some kind of maybe letters of credit where you can define what happens when. Also the whole INCO terms play into the game where actually already in a contractual phase, you make sure that the delivery and the payment methods are defined Mm -hmm. and so that's just the securing the payment establishing some kind of trust with counterparties that that do not know each other and where you can maybe not enforce the local laws right if someone doesn't pay in switzerland the methods are pretty clear if someone doesn't pay abroad what do you do it gets complicated (laughs) so that's the sick just the securing part and then maybe other the other one is the financing part right mm-hmm. if you produce kind of high value goods and you export them um, this costs you a lot of money to do this sure but the buyer might only be willing to pay this machine one and a half year after it was installed and running because that's when he has the cash mm-hmm. so how do you bridge this financing gap because you you might not have so much cash to produce one and a half year ahead without getting paid. So that's then the financing piece. And I think trade finance is all about securing and financing international trade relationships. Of course, it needs a certain size of deals. It needs Mm -hmm. a certain exposure to countries that you don't know so much, but that's actually quite an important piece of how can you secure and finance your trade relationships. I think, yeah, that's a very important part to really build that trust and bridge the gap between the different countries. Again, making the world smaller, right? Yeah, and then I think it's also, it evolves over time, Mm -hmm. right? You might, after 10 years, you might know your supplier. He might trust you, uh, but you might have a new client that you maybe do not trust fully yet or just you don't want to know to run any kind of country risk as well maybe this country is suddenly into problems right and yeah. uh, uh, and so that's kind of uh, it's a dynamic topic yeah 
So I think that was a very comprehensive overview about when and how to go international, what aspect you have to pay special attention to. Do you have any last tips or recommendations for us and the companies thinking about that step? Very briefly, uh, have a plan mm -hmm. and focus. Focus meaning on? On certain countries, yeah. it can get quite complex quite easily especially if you're on starting phase of running a company, I would really pay attention of where do I focus on. Mm -hmm. And second, get help and get other knowledge. I think just don't ask others that already did it. Get advice on these associations that we mentioned before, uh, just to get help. Wonderful last recommendation to re-emphasize the importance yeah. of talking to other people yeah. who actually already walked the walk that you're yeah. about to walk. So for the very last part, we have some rapid fire questions for you. I either give you a short question or a selection you have to answer in one sentence. Are you ready? I'm ready, yes. The first one, going alone or with a partner? First going alone. And then lay the partner up if it makes sense. Yes. Okay. Europe, Asia or Americas? Very tough. I would say just for easiness purposes also, Europe first mm -hmm. makes it easier. And then? I know it's a tough one. I think very tough one. I mean, I like the growing attitude of Asia, yeah. uh, but I also like the sheer market size and innovation power of, of the US. So. so it's an equal game. Tough call. Yeah. Should you have a legal entity abroad? Yes or no? Not at the beginning. And what's your favorite market to export to? Just one. Just one. Germany. Because it's so close and it's much close. bigger. Yeah, I think it's especially, I mean, we are talking here maybe also to startup communities, right? I think if you go first into Taiwan or Japan, different ball game. Right. So, and, and you see it also today, the biggest biggest export market for Swiss economy still remains Germany. We are culturally close, we're the same time zone, we are also language-wise close. We, From a legal point standpoint of view, we are quite close. Uh, so why not testing waters first? But of course it depends on your product. If no one likes Absolutely. it in Germany, but everyone likes it in Japan, Sure. This, this might not work, right? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Marcus, thank you so much for stopping by. That was super interesting and, and very insightful. Thank you so much for sharing all these learnings. Yes, it was, was my pleasure to share a little bit what I see every day on our client base.